Welcome to The Missing Middle. I'm Kara Stern. And I'm Mike Moffat. Toronto is looking at a 10.5% property tax increase, and it could even be up to something like 16%. And that's a huge increase, especially compared to the last bunch of years. As long as I've been living in Toronto and paying attention, it's always been at or below inflation was always the promise. This is clearly not. Uh, so first of all, Mike, how does that compare to what other places in this province are looking at right now for increases? Yeah, so we're, we're hearing similar uh, amounts uh, across the board. Uh, so we're, we're having a debate in my hometown of London. Uh, you know, I've seen the mayor of Guelph uh, talk about the issues there. Now, you know, a lot of municipalities is more looking at that sort of seven to nine range rather than the sort of 16% that we're hearing as a, a potential maximum in, in Toronto. But overall, this is, uh, I think, frightening a lot of people because we've spent, you know, the better part of two decades uh, having governments trying to keep these increases at inflation or in many cases and in a few years in Toronto at zero percent. So to go from an environment where you're kind of used to these things not changing a whole lot to all of a sudden jumping to, to 10 to 16 percent, that's a lot for people, particularly when they're already dealing with the uh, cost of living crisis. You say that the places in like Toronto have had zero or at least below inflation for so many years. What is historically the norm? Is it keeping up with inflation? Is it below, above? What what have we seen before the last few years? Yeah, that over over the last 20 years or so, it's, you know, in this kind of one to three percent area. So, you know, at the rate of inflation, some years slightly higher, some years uh, slightly lower. Uh, but I think you can make an argument here that that's caused uh, cities to underinvest in in all kinds of things. So it does feel like now um, that we're having to cash some checks that uh, or or pay some bills that we've been kind of putting off uh, for decades. And again, this is this is going to be a uh, a stressful debate, uh, particularly for the politicians who. Who have to have it on, on the one hand, realizing that stuff costs money and uh, at least on the operating side, municipalities cannot run deficits, so they have to finance this. So they're caught between a rock and a hard place where this, either they, they raise taxes or, or cut spending. I had always heard that politicians would promise things in elections, such as keeping it at or below inflation and then figure out how to work the budget to fit their promise. And I understand that Olivia Chow is doing it differently. She recommended figuring out the budget and then didn't actually promise anything, any number during the campaign. But I also recently learned that that wasn't always the case. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, well, well a lot of times there, there tends to be a sort of a lot of theater in, involved in this where uh, municipal governments will uh, you know, decide, work, work, work on the budgeting process and go, okay, here's all the things we want to spend. And it's, you know, five and a half percent and, or whatever the number is. And then there's this kind of negotiation to ratchet, uh, ratchet down the, the, the money where, um, you have, uh, you know, people who want a lower number, you know, try and cut down spending and uh, people who 
want to preserve uh, spending say, well, you know, if, if you go any lower than this, it means that your, 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 your child's splash pad won't be opening, um, opening this summer. And that seems to be a popular one for, for politicians to really uh, uh, get people to visualize municipal spending cuts, uh, you know, wading pools and splash pads uh, seem to be popular. So there tends to be a lot of uh, theater here. And I imagine the same thing will happen here, that there will be uh, a debate about particular spending items and going, okay, is that a, is that a must have or a like to have, or, you know, is that kind of optional? So we'll, we'll see where this lands, but I, I don't think this number is going to be the, uh, the final number. What I keep hearing from people is that 10% is unreasonable and it could seriously hurt the middle class to deal with that kind of increase in already tight budgets. How concerned are you? I do think there are real issues here that if we look at the average home, this would mean about an extra four to five hundred dollars a year or 40 bucks a month. And, you know, in a cost of living crisis, uh, that is an issue, particularly, say, for homeowners on a, on a fixed income. But we should also put this into perspective that if, if you're a renter and particularly a renter who has to change apartments every so often, your rents are often going up a hundred or two hundred or three hundred dollars a month, and you know we kind of uh, ignore that and suggest that that is you know well that's just what you have to expect. So it is kind of strange that we expect renters who tend to be lower income to have to finance much higher increases uh, than what homeowners are are being asked to uh, finance here. So I do think it's an issue, and I hope. Uh, that it starts to lead to a discussion of what we expect out of renters as well and, and how much increases they are having to pay. That's a very good point. And one thing to remember is that renters pay property taxes too. It's just kind of bundled and hidden in the rent. And my understanding is because this is quite a big increase, a landlord could probably go to the landlord tenant board and get an above guideline increase, right? Yeah, it, we'll have to see how that plays out, but it, it's certainly possible. And we have to remember that that's, you know, for sort of existing leases and existing renters. And, you know, Toronto's a, a mobile population and, and people come and go and they change apartments. So um, I'm sure that these property tax increases will get passed along uh, to new renters. So, so you're absolutely right that it affects both homeowners and renters. According to the city's press release, it actually is quite a bit lower than what you said. What they said was this amounts to an increase of $321 annually for the average assessed value of a Toronto home or the equivalent to a monthly increase of $26.75. So when I hear that, I keep thinking about how there's all these people who bought homes before the housing crisis started that now have homes worth a lot more than they paid. So it can be a challenge to cover day to day expenses, but they're, they are so much lower than they would be if they bought it today. For people who bought recently, though, do you think that most can handle that kind of $27 increase? I would have, I would assume that's part of their budget that when they bought the home, they should assume that there's a fluctuation. So is that something realistically that people actually do? Yeah, well, I, I think they can, but, you know, it's it, it's that uh, in isolation, you know, it's it's probably not that much for the average homeowner, but it's just that these things tend to compound with each other, right? That food prices are going up and, uh, you know, all of these other sort of cost of living factors are, are going up. So in isolation is $27 a, a month uh, going to break the average or, or, or the typical homeowner? Yeah, probably not. But it is it, it is additive, and particularly 
as you point out, for uh, newer homeowners who you know haven't built up that equity. And we also have to remember that there are a lot of homeowners who have mortgages uh, renewing this year, and they're going to see their interest payments go up by hundreds or sometimes uh, even $1,000 or more a month. Uh, so to add an extra $27 a month to that, you know, yeah, they're, they're probably going to feel it. I see some people from places like the Canadian Taxpayers Federation highlighting today's market prices and then calculating the property tax on it. I'm seeing that in a lot of the articles on property tax as well, uh, where people talk about this is how much the average home is in Toronto. This is how much they're asking for in property tax. This is how much they can expect to pay. But Market prices aren't anywhere near the assessed prices. I know the last big assessment was in 2016. It was supposed to happen in 2020 and it got delayed uh, or it was, I guess it was frozen because of the pandemic. But what I wonder about is what happens when these assessments eventually get redone at today's bananas prices? Is it expected to happen anytime soon? And what's going to happen to people when that actually takes place? Yeah, so we have to understand that when um, when we do have that that reassessment sometime in the next couple of years, that you know, on average, some of these these homes are going to be assessed thirty to forty percent higher. Uh, but that doesn't mean that your taxes are going to go up thirty to forty percent because everybody's assessment is going up. So it's basically uh, all homes become uh, more valuable. So the actual rate of tax goes down to to offset that. I think the challenge for governments or or individual homeowners is that uh, the new assessments some are going to go up a lot and and some less so. So there's going to be winners and losers. So if you are one of the homes that sees a big assessment spike, yeah, your taxes are probably going to go up. Uh, on the other hand, if uh, your assessment doesn't go up nearly as much, then uh, you may actually see your taxes decrease. So I think that's going to be the challenge on the reassessment. It's not that everybody's taxes are going to go up and there's going to be this explosion, but it's just going to have this differential effect. It's going to um, shift the tax base a little bit from some homeowners to other homeowners, creating winners and losers. And um, in, and in general, in, in sort of politics, that the the losers are more angry than the winners are happy, um, which is never a great place for the politicians to be. That's so interesting that they would lower the taxes. I didn't realize that. I haven't been uh, haven't been in a position of paying property taxes for very long, um, and I did not know that when they reassess it, that the tax rate would go down to kind of balance it out. I would have figured that the tax rate in Toronto last year was zero point six seven percent. That it would stay about that, and your the cost would go up. But you're saying that it might go down to I don't know zero point. 4% instead or 0.5% instead if, if prices are assessed much higher? Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's called the, the, the mill rate, that sort of uh, percentage that, that you indicated. And basically, they, they calculate the mill rate by going, okay, how much, you know, how much money do, do we need to raise as a city? And what is the total assessed value of all the properties in the city? Um, and there's different weightings because some types of properties get taxed at a higher rate than others. So everything is sort of applied as a weighting. But um, with that with that in mind, then they basically divide one one to the other. So so basically, what would happen is like if you had a magic genie that overnight doubled the value of every property in Toronto, um, 
and you you then had a reassessment. What happens is not that the city of Toronto's tax base then doubles or the the that the, their uh, uh, tax revenue doubles, but basically they offset the rate in half. And it's the reason why Toronto's tax rate is lower than a place like uh, London, Ontario, uh, my hometown. It's just that because the properties in in London uh, are not worth as much. You actually have to apply a higher rate to those properties in order to collect the same amount of revenue. And I know that you've done some work pointing about the differences between uh, how much it costs to service a dense area versus suburban areas. And so I guess we know that in a lot of Toronto, where the areas where it is dense, it should be much cheaper. Is that reflected in the property taxes too? So un- unfortunately, no, that it's the same sort of property tax uh, across the board, whether or not you live you know, downtown or a walkable neighborhood or, or, or that kind of thing. There are, there are special programs and exemptions. And I know I'm going to hear from the housing nerds of like, well, what about this special program? But for the most part, it's the same, you know, regardless of where you are in the city, it's the it's the same formula. Um, so there's there's no kind of special value there, which is actually problematic. And it's one of the ways that we, uh, as a society, uh, cause an increase in sprawl. That although in many cases, infill development, so, you know, taking existing brownfield sites and and putting more housing on them, typically that has a much lower infrastructure cost to the city than building at the outskirts of city, but both pay essentially the same tax rate. So one is essentially subsidizing the other, the sort of downtown, um, you know, the, the downtown properties tends to be subsidizing the ones at, at the edge of uh, at, at the edge of town. So it is a, it is an issue on um, this kind of uh, one size fits all uh, taxation system that we have. I hear a lot of people really hammering out uh, complaints about Olivia Chow's. How much of this is her fault? Well, I, I certainly think there are, you know, new spending programs and initiatives out there. So, you know, who's mayor today absolutely does matter to a, to a certain extent. But there are a lot of other factors in, involved here. So, you know, one one factor, for instance, is the, you know, international student boom. Um, you know, so we, we, we've seen that as, as an issue and, you, you know, municipalities, have to pay for the increased transits, you know, increased policing that just comes with a higher, higher population that a lot of those costs get downloaded to the municipality. And that really has nothing to do with uh, who the mayor of of Toronto is. And I would say furthermore, that a lot of the issues now are based on decisions that past mayors and, and past councils have made. Part of that, again, is just holding the line on property taxes for, for so long but part of it, and here's where I'm going to you know, play my density rant, that Toronto is growing slower than the average uh, city in Ontario. It's actually supposed to lose a member of parliament when they do the redistricting that is growing so slow. And why that's happened is that the city of Toronto until recently has been very restrictive of development. They've basically not allowed enough homes to be built, so they've lost a lot of the middle class to other cities to Kitchener and Brantford and London and so on. So what happens is as you basically expel uh, a large part of your tax base and have them scatter all across southwestern Ontario, 
you have fewer taxpayers than you otherwise should. So what that means is the folks that are remaining have to pick up more of the slack. And if Toronto had been a much uh, better place to develop over the last 20 years, had they built more housing, had they been able to retain their middle class, they would have been able to spread uh, these costs over a larger population. But instead, because Toronto had been so restrictive, uh, because it has lost so much of its population to other Ontario cities, it's now having to, uh, you know, put those costs onto the remaining uh, the remaining taxpayers. And I guess she did things like restored service to the TTC, all of that costs money. Um, but at the same time, most of council, actually all of council is the same as it was when John Tory was elected last. Um, and so I, if it passes, I know that she, she can't pass it on her own. So I keep thinking that this would be a council wide decision and therefore maybe the responsibility is shared between everyone. And maybe it's not that different from how it would have been under John Tory. What do you think? Yeah, so we have to remember that she is only uh, one vote on, on council, but there is, uh, thanks to the Ford government, there is an interesting wrinkle here with the strong mayor power. So with that strong mayor power, um, you know, at least in theory, she would be able to push this through with a smaller contingent uh, of council than, um, than than previously. So, you know, the mayor does have additional clout that they didn't have. And I think that might be the real irony of, of this, that, uh, you know, Doug Ford's giving the, the mayor of Toronto more power has uh, may lead to a tax decision that would have hor- horrified the Ford brothers. So, you know, it just kind of shows, you know, this sort of butterfly effect and all of the things that, that can happen here. But assuming Mayor Chow doesn't use any kind of strong mayor power, then it's you know she's only one uh she only has one vote and so ultimately things don't really change that much between uh between her and uh former mayor tory the most valid argument against raising property taxes in my mind is that it can be seen as a regressive tax and that it doesn't take into account your ability to pay um you know you think about someone who's you know 90 years old and living alone on a fixed income a 10% increase might be challenging for that person to accept as fair. Um, what do you make of that argument? Apart from the fact that I do know there are uh, deferral programs for seniors in case people are having a hard time paying, they can defer it, but that doesn't apply to everyone who's having a hard time affording it. What, what's a, what do you make of that argument? Yeah, it, it, it is challenging. So, you know, and I think you're right to point out that, um, that there are these these programs available uh, to to people who are cash strapped, though you know at the same time you go okay you know if you're somebody who bought a home in 1975 using pocket change and that home is now worth three million dollars and you have a large tax bill, I have some sympathy for that, but like o- only to a point. Uh, but I do think it's really important that that cities have this because there are you know there are people who they're wealthy in the sense that they have a, a really valuable home, but you know, they might be, um, they might be cash strapped. So, you know, having a program where people can, um, defer those taxes. And then when they sell the house, use the proceeds of that sale to, to pay that deferral, I think makes a lot of sense. Is there a fairer way to tax? 
the the challenge is that the the city doesn't really have that many options and and in fact it's gone really far over the last 20 years of doing whatever it can to take stuff off of the property tax roll and onto other taxes whether they be land transfer or development charges or or that kind of thing which is certainly more popular because you say okay well instead of having the 90 year old widower pay the tax why not have the greedy developer pay it well the challenge is when we've punted things you know off to the so-called greedy developers well, well first of all that gets uh you know those costs if the home gets built uh gets passed along to to the new owners so it's just transferring taxes from you know the one person to another but also it causes fewer homes to get built you know projects just don't pencil so you know we've seen municipalities as much as possible go uh you know running and screaming away from property taxes because of these really very real issues but that has all kinds of other unintended consequences and, and is contributed to the housing crisis we find ourselves in today. Hopefully we'll have uh, some more time to unpack this as we see where they actually end up on what, what the final number is. And it'll, it'll be really interesting to see if they're really going to go with quite a bit above inflation and how that can affect uh, the city's ability to make some changes for the better. Because a lot of us have been looking around Toronto and seeing a, a lot of it feeling like it's a bit in decline in some ways. We see a lot more, you know, there's not a lot of homeless shelters with rooms. So there's a lot more encampments around the city. I keep thinking if people have to pay $27 a month on average, it, but there's a solution for some people, like maybe it's not such a bad thing. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I think it's incumbent on all sides to say, okay, if you don't like this, which, you know, again, is understandable. It's, you know, it's it's a lot of money and this creates hardship for people. What are you proposing as an alternative? Um, you know, where if you want to see the, these taxes lowered, are you suggesting then that these, you know, that the cities get this revenue from somewhere else, again, punting it more onto, you know, land transfer taxes or things like that? Are you suggesting that uh, cities cut spending? And if they cut spending, on what you know is it uh snow plows or police or, or what have you and you know there may very well be be answers to that and you know i'm i'm hopeful that if this leads to a discussion then it should be a discussion about what are our priorities as as a city or or as a society and there aren't necessarily right and wrong answers to that but i think we have to recognize that there are there are trade-offs here and while nobody wants you know double digit tax increases i think there are you know to stop that from happening we may have to make decisions that other people you know that we don't want either and then we have to sort of pick okay what is the least worst option here it's a cost of living in a i guess the world class city toronto wants to be right um thank you to everyone for watching and listening and please like and subscribe and uh, leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And I'd like to give a big shout out to our producer, Meredith Martin. See you next time.